0: Constructed Futures. Today, I'm here with Mark Behorich, co-founder of Relay Construction Solutions. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, you. Awesome. So let's talk about what Relay does.
1: Yeah. So Relay is the modern project controls software for general contractors and owners. It's been quite a road to get here. We've been in the market for a while, but have recently kind of hit our stride in in tying together cost schedule with estimating and delivery.
0: Well, you put your finger on what I was going to ask, which is, When you say project controls, a lot of people will know what that means, but I'll bet you that's a definition that might slide around a little bit. When you say it, what do you mean?
1: That's a great point, Hugh. I think that project controls tends to live mostly in conference world, and Mm -hmm. there are very few general contractors that have built out a project controls like function. But when you express it as, okay, why do we have this dynamic in this industry where the Data that is collected during pre-construction is put in a spreadsheet and shoved in a folder and forgotten about when every other component of the job site, especially in a modern job site, is is rapidly uh, turning to technologies to solve real problems. And the core problem is project controls. It is the discipline that makes sure that the costs are being captured in a way that is relevant to both the real world, the the world of the field, the world of bids and and estimates, and the world of accounting. And when you tie those two worlds together, you can translate back and forth, which means that your numbers become reliable and the outcomes become predictable.
0: You know what's funny? I was having a conversation with a big GC literally yesterday where they were asking about CSI standards. Specifically, they were asking about master format and Omniclass. And their core problem, I did not do this on purpose, I promise. They were like, we've got our project numbers, and we've got our accounting numbers, and we have all sorts of trouble making the two happen. Is that a lot of what you guys help with?
1: Yeah, it it is. And we started down this road really focused on the bid management part of the problem because we thought to ourselves, hey, this is really the first major gap between an estimate in pre-construction and the market, and then there's another gap between writing contracts and then delivery, but we realized that the technologies that we wrote and developed specifically for managing bids were applicable to linking together the entire world of pre-construction with that of delivery. And it, in viewing the problem uniquely through a different lens, we were able to discover how the EPC side of construction has done for decades, this linking of cost and schedule and building predictable costs and, and outcomes through project controls. But in their world, it takes so much time and intention and, and expertise that's really specialized. And software can can mimic those behaviors and and provide those constraints in a way that can scale these concepts to any size project, any time.
0: And that's really some of the magic of construction software, right? Or software any of any kind is that right. you, you can often take things that are super expensive or were in the past super expensive, and therefore you can only do them on big projects, but then codify them into software that now much smaller projects, it's still, it's economic for people to use processes and tools like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's, it's, we're one (coughs) example of of many companies that are using technology to do things that were previously undoable at scale, at least due to costs.
0: Yeah, I love it. And so you guys started off more on the bid side. What made you decide to kind of expand and and when you talk about controls, what exactly is under your umbrella?
1: Sure. So I think that one of the difficulties in maintaining excellent project controls is the Rosetta Stone that you have to maintain between your systems, your internal systems to each other and your company to the subcontractors and vendors and suppliers and supply chain elements that are a part of all projects and because software has a unique ability to scale across organizations and across firewalls we can provide a service that links together everybody's version of the project in a way that can synchronize and standardize the information that can be collected
0: you know what happens with stuff like this and i've, I've heard of people really tying together painful workflows on, on the close side, which in some ways i think is analogous here do you find that there is a an implementation phase where you kind of have to agree on terms and agree what stuff means and almost create your own little data dictionary?
1: Sure. As with any implementation, it, there are some devil in the details moments where we look at what can be done and what should be done and, and create a pathway to get there, especially in a stage gate fashion. Um, this does require some disruption of what you were doing before in order to gain organizational benefits. but. We strive to be very clear and concise about how we're doing what we're doing and why we're doing it so that everybody can understand and buy in upfront. But there definitely does need to be some consistency, especially from the top down as far as why.
0: It feels like it's a pain in the neck the first time you do it, but then you've done it once. So then right. for the next project, all right, there may be a different kind of bathroom or some other details that were covered the first time, but you've learned how to do it and you've got your dictionary started. So it's a bit of an investment up front. The reality is, adopting any technology is a bit of an investment upfront. But once you've done it, you've got not only have you got the ability to tie things together, but you've kind of created a dictionary of how your company does business. Is that Does that sound right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And this is thankfully the, the tools that really solve elements of the construction workflow well. Tend to proliferate quickly within this industry once they g- grab yeah. a foothold, and so as a new construction technology vendor, we can work with the same kind of players over and over again in a scalable way in terms of rollout. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to tie the common systems together, things like Sage and, and Viewpoint or or CMIC, because between between those three and NetSuite, I mean, between those four, you're going to have eighty five percent of the of the market covered.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Who's your number one person to go to? Who do you sell this to?
1: Well, I think Project Controls has a lot of coverage in terms of understanding on the EPC side of the world. When we talk in this in these languages to general contractors and to owners, what we're really talking about is schedule reliability. Can you link the cost of your activities to your time of activities, and do you see a relationship? in ways that maybe changes from a resource availability standpoint, for instance, might like to feed back into your schedule. And we do this naturally when we're just managing a job site in person, but translating the impacts of certain choices becomes hard unless you have a consistent way of viewing the world. And so when we use terms like earn value management on the EPC side, everybody understands, yes, well you got to generate a baseline of progress, you've got to set a baseline quantity estimate, and you've got to progress against that quantity estimate. The general contractors are doing this already. It's just shoved into different components of their, of their workflow. For instance, the schedule of values that accompanies the invoices has a significant amount of detail that's relevant from an earned value management project controls perspective. And pulling that data forward through software can be useful in in giving everybody the information that they need so that the foreman from the subcontractor side is saying, well, I've installed 3,000 square feet of tile today. And that can immediately be translated into a percent complete rather than somebody sticking their thumb in the air saying, well, I think the scope is about 25 or 50% complete. And that qualitative measurement can lead to oh, no, well, I guess we're not 25% complete because we were still 25% complete three weeks ago and we are we don't know necessarily when we're going to be done. And that kind of programmatic and quantitative earned value management through appropriate project controls and systems both in the field and through software can result in a very rich data environment for predicting project outcomes earlier than the oh, no moments.
0: I got to imagine that owners love this also the customers of contractors beginning to get data that is probably better organized maybe a little bit more consistent maybe maybe a little bit more consistently coming out that's got to be great for them to know too because at the end of the day they want their buildings built by a motivated well-run contractor so things like this the finance side is also their language more than it, it than construction is usually so being able to see that they've got a solid project controls system has got to be a a selling point.
1: Oh, certainly. I think, but the first thing that we get when we talk to an owner is like, all of this sounds great. I really want predictable project outcomes. I really want reliable project information, but how do I get my GCs to use this? How do they get their subs to use this? And the reality is that project performance is a pain point regardless of who you are in the field. And Mm -hmm. rather than ripping and replacing huge chunks of, of systems, we can lay on top of the data that's already project wide mm-hmm. um, and we can use the systems and processes these guys are already following and reinterpret that data in a new light so that owners get the control and visibility they want without causing onerous restrictions on the gcs if that's the if that's the goal.
0: I love that. The other thing it obviously provides is analytics where you can look at your data in in new ways, right? You can you can chop it up differently, run stats against it. Sure. I, how do you find people using that?
1: So the control part of project controls is really my number is what I think it is. And it's always that number across every project. That's fundamentally what you're doing. So when you are looking at, well, what projects are similar? How long do they typically take? Who typically is involved? How do they typically break up the work? How often am I wrong on my estimates of how often, how long this is ready to complete? How often do weather events impact my project? my availability how often do delayed supply chain events impact my availability all of these things are actually bundled inside the master schedule of a of a general contractor and we can unlock by simply making sure that we can call a spade a spade and an apple an apple and I can identify what is an apple and what is a spade using just the numbers because I've got appropriate project controls
0: and are you finding that there's big ahas? Some of them not always great. I give you an example. I've heard a couple of times people have done analyses of predictions for how long something will take. It's usually about time, but also money, and they're often really wildly off. Are you finding that people are saying, "Oh, wow, okay, our, our prediction error is fifty percent or twenty, a meaningful percent," and that it, it, it changes oh, yeah. the way they start to make those predictions?
1: Absolutely. We were talking with the CFO of a large a large electrical subcontractor and they were able to uncover that they were mispricing the cost of their undergrounds by 50% and because they uncovered this, you know, after the fact, they had no record of how long that assumption and mistake has been causing a margin fade in their business.
0: Such a big point. I remember there was another conversation I had a couple of years ago with a contractor, believe it or not in Australia. And when they had started doing something, not as rigorous as what you're talking about, but just implementing better data, they stopped doing certain things. They oh, had yeah. a number of, 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 de- of developers that they worked with who were repeat customers that they always lost money on. And they didn't all the way know that. So they, they I think they stopped one business line, one kind of building type, but also some partners that they had deep relationships with were never economic. And it's really amazing how you hear about low margins And it's like, well, where is that margin or margin erosion? And some of it's going to be doing jobs that you you don't fully understand how you're making the money, when you're making it, and so on. So this is really, really kind of an exciting way of looking at the business.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of these things actually boil down to, as simple as it sounds, like a, a consistent level of detail. When you roll all of your estimates up into a single cost account by trade, and all you know is that you're close to overspending your budget or you've overspent your budget, so you use contingency. Well, why did I overspend my budget? Well, so-and-so, dot, 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 stuff. But if you look at the detail that's in each of these estimates, how many quantities are of key major quantities, how much lumber, how much concrete, how much steel, how much labor are we forecasting is supposed to be required to execute this job. If you start tracking that information, again, using the systems you've already put in place, then you can actually start to catch mistakes before they happen and you can catch misforecasts and you can narrow it down quantitatively to the exact area where you're mispricing and missing elements of the field. And not only are you happier, but you can tie in safety and certifications and reliability and you can quantify them in terms of like, well, Sub A is five thousand dollars more, but if he's if he's twenty-five percent more reliable, that's actually gonna save me sixty thousand dollars on this job.
0: Isn't that interesting? And more th- almost three-dimensional view of where your costs and and benefits are. Really interesting. And do you find that rather than this being a pain in the neck for people that are using it, you're actually leveraging their experience and intuition and giving them a better tool where they can apply it. So they're not coming up with a story for why we're over, but they're saying, well, no, I'm I'm looking at the data now. I understand it better. It feels like this would be really empowering for people that have have been doing this for 20 years.
1: So I think that like one of the, one of the best compliments I received is we're, we're training an early user and we were taking away his beloved spreadsheet for building an estimate. And we sit down and he starts off the meeting. He's like, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. I really don't care what you're going to talk to me about today, but I have to sit here. So let's just (laughs) get it over with. And I said, I totally get it. told him a story about the first time I was an engineer and, and, and then started showing him the software. And he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Point and click. And okay, I understand it. And he summarizes the the session. He goes, look, all right, this is close enough to Excel that I'm not going to miss very much. And so I guess it's okay. Thanks. (laughs) And that was, and that was that's the first level of it. When you can then, because that that thirty year guy has switched from Excel to a to a modern software stack, the insights that we can then pull out start to start to magnify, and we make them accessible not only to our team in terms of building new product features and and showing new insights, but the the teams at our clients are also able to directly pull and report and generate their own insights based on the information that they're now generating at scale across their whole projects. So it's a two-way street and there's a lot of learning sharing that's going on between us and our clients.
0: You know, what's funny is that that muted compliment is hiding another compliment that people who don't make software may not always appreciate. But when someone says that you have done your UI work, your user interface work well enough that you're not making me take a huge leap is enormous. It, it really well done that you've thought of this and said, let's test this so that, yeah, some things have to be different because they have to be different, but we're going to make sure we're as close to their existing workflow as feasible so that the leap is, is much shorter and people are comfortable with it faster, as opposed to bells and whistles and they're like, I don't know what all these lights are doing.
1: No, I think I appreciate that. That definitely is. That sounds like that comment's coming from experience. It's not a common yeah. observation.
0: It is, and I, I spent a lot of time in the specifications world, and there has been an ongoing problem in in creating software for specifications because you have people whose license is often on the line, and if you over automate, they get really up, they get really uncomfortable because they're they're on the line. They they usually don't have enough time to get done, which is of course true across the industry. But if you automate incorrectly or you you change the UI too quickly, people are saying, "I don't have control of my risk." The way i did before because i've been doing this for 20 years or 30 years to the point you made a moment ago and i really know how to check quickly to make sure i've got the four corners of this document understood and if you change that people are like "I, i don't know i don't know where to find things and i don't have time to learn and oh my gosh you've automated things what are you automating like what are you creating that's gonna that i'm gonna be responsible for later so the fact that you've really closed the gap as much as possible so people are like no no i understand the risk that is or is not being created here, and I know how to get wrap my arms around it and feel comfortable. It's a big deal in this industry generally, and, and I think when you're talking about finance and numbers, it's obviously got an added element of, of risk.
1: That's a good point. I think that something as simple as a as a new right click menu, who changed this number, and can I call them and follow up with them and figure out why it's why it was changed? That kind of a workflow is almost impossible in a Microsoft Excel based world, and so when you replace that. You get a whole lot of goodies right out of the gate that we can offer for comfort. And then being able to show the, the audit trail of information from where our system and where it goes and who it's passing through and what functions are running so that you can have reliable calculations in a way that previously would have been very difficult to execute. And not only do that for the large guys in the large projects, but also bring that same computing horsepower and that same process to a guy that's got a license of SAGE and trying to, to piece things together and, and get a handle on his costs. Like We can be there for everyone throughout this, this project lifecycle and our hearts really to scale down this mind-numbing, painful task of figuring out where all the all the margin goes at the end of a project and bring all of that work up front. So you can have reliability throughout your project life cycle.
0: That's awesome. So talk to me about what it's like to implement. So someone says, you know what? I really like what relay does. We want to try it or we want to, we want to implement. What's that look like?
1: So I think that the hardest thing to get people to understand is how important it is to control the level of detail. And so we can match what they're currently doing in Excel. If they're using a system like WinEST and they're pulling in their estimates, we can show them visually how those numbers are tying to the subcontractors. We can bring people inside the fold and outside the fold. So a subcontractor might start as a bidder, but you can bring him on the execution side of the project as as you or reach delivery and making people aware of the systems and softwares they're already using is the is the most time intensive part. Replacing a spreadsheet, matching their current level of detail is one thing. But getting them to understand how the f- consistent and clean and uninterrupted flow of data throughout their entire process can really change their ability to evaluate this is it, it tends to be what we spend most of our time talking about. And so we, we roll out in a 30, 60, 90 day plan uh, mm-hmm. where 30 days you're up and running, matching your current life cycle, 60 days, we're showing you some things that we can extend that to and some other systems that are inside your inside your ecosystem that we can start to pull and extract data from. And then we start daydreaming from there. And we periodically check back in. We're recycling learnings from both our team and, and our clients so that everybody's really kind of leveling up their game, following the same kind of pathways.
0: That's really interesting. So you're saying, in about a month, we're working. In about two months, we start to explore things you didn't know you could do. And three months out, you're really starting to look at at where you can implement some of these new things and and start to think about changing the business. You're not asking people to stop everything and let's let's go a whole new direction, but you're easing them in over the course of ninety days from it's working to new things and then and then thinking about implementing. That's really that's really cool. Very heavy customer success. It sounds like.
1: Well, we we started this company with a former estimator from McCarthy, and he was my co-founder, Adam. He was just adamant about like the brain damage he personally suffered trying to make sure that all the formulas calculated correctly in a spreadsheet. And then he would go out in the field and he would learn. He would see how things are being done, and like there, there's just a human element there that can be amplified or like in a positive direction or in a negative direction by the improper implementation of technology. And so part of our mission is making sure that we really understand and rather than have people bite off the whole elephant all at once, that we kind of establish that roadmap to bite it off together and that we're doing it kind of hand by hand, side by side with them, because that's where, our next innovation is going to come from. It's going to come from that light bulb, that aha moment when somebody says, oh, now that you're doing X, Y, and Z, could you just pull this into? Because if I could see dot, 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 and that's that that, those are our favorite conversations and you only get those through being close to your clients.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the the classic example of that, of course, is founder-led sales as a general point, right? Is it that the, the people that Thought up the product and have been there in the trenches building it. Need to hear from customers for at least the first couple of years. And <clears throat> you've kind of taken that to another level.
1: Well, we've got a great team around us, and we're growing. We've been fortunate to to really find a, a problem that we're learning how to talk about better. And like all early stage companies, right? It's uh, product market fit is both what you can do, how you can talk about it, and then what that means to your clients. And and we really see this as a as as an all hands type type system, and we're grateful to be in the spaces we are.
0: Yeah, love it. So, as you think about where you're going next, um, what do you think is is how the obvious place for you to continue to grow and continue to develop?
1: Great question. I think that there are a lot of data vacuums, not only internally between project setup, as you're pursuing projects, and then as you're starting to estimate those projects, and then as you're starting to deliver those projects, those are a lot of gaps and they're internal to the clients. What we'd really love to do is kind of take that integrated project delivery legal framework, but virtualize it and say, no, no, for these large projects, especially the co-ops, we can actually be a on-the-fly virtual data environment where we can pull the relevant information from inside all of these systems. And tie it together in a way that's project-centric for the first time. And we can do that scalably because everybody's using the same, the same systems. And it's a it's a set it up once and watch it work for the next three years while you're building these big projects. That would be that would be a really exciting space for us to step into. And of course, like the first time on a project, we go from owner to general contractor and to subcontractor and to supplier because the interfaces that they're seeing. Are empowering and we're able to make that story understandable, scalably. Right now, all those are are personal conversations, but getting really good about telling our story and and highlighting what you can do if you are willing to understand and learn a few things and try something different is something that we're really excited about.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, I really like what you guys are building. If if people want to learn more about you and, and kind of dig in, where should they go?
1: Sure. Well, you're, we'd love to have you on our website, relay.tech. And you can always reach out to me, Mark at relay.tech or my co-founder, Adam at relay.tech. And I think those links are in the show notes. And, and if anything, I love challenges. So if, if there's somebody out there that's like, well, you've never seen dot, 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 like I want to know about it. And we can put a dinner on the line or a nice bottle of wine or whatever, whatever steaks make sense. And let's, let's get after it.
0: Love it. Well, Mark, thank you for being on the podcast. I love what you guys are up to and, and look forward to seeing more.
1: Thanks, Hugh. I really appreciate what you're doing for the industry.